Grace and mercy and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The crimes that King David committed were despicable. It's actually quite a, a shocking account in 2 Samuel 11. King David is so well-remembered, so highly regarded. He's called the man after God's own heart. As a, a youth, he fought Goliath, trusting in God, and won. As a, a king, he unified Israel. He made Jerusalem the capital. He won wars against Israel's enemies. And all of that good stuff just makes it so much more jarring and disgusting when he threw it all away for a sin. He wanted another man's wife. He took her for himself. He tried to deceive and dishonor her husband. And when that didn't work, he plotted and schemed so that he would die in battle. Bathsheba became David's wife, and David acted as if nothing had happened as if he had done nothing wrong. What do you do with a man like David? How do you judge him? We like to divide people into categories of, of good and bad. There are all sorts of historical figures that we do that with. You think of some of the, the names from the Bible. Uh, Noah, Abraham, Moses, those are the, the good guys. On the other hand, you have King Ahab, or King Herod, or Judas Iscariot. Those are the bad guys. And yeah, we, we probably recognize that that's a, a simplistic way of looking at history and people. But in so many ways, it works. And so we, we treat living people the same way. If I ask you to, to name a, a politician who is a bad person, I suspect that you would not have trouble naming more than one. Uh, on the other hand, if I ask for a, a celebrity who is a, a good person, well, there, there may not be as many of those, but there are certainly some with such a reputation. But what do you do with a guy like King David? Do you throw away all the good that he did and judge him as evil for his crimes? Or, or do we overlook the, the crimes and say that all the good he did makes up for it? Neither of those answers is satisfactory. The, the question is an important one, though, because how we judge King David might just be the same way that we judge ourselves. And even more importantly, it might be the way that God judges us. What's good enough for God? Jesus teaches in his Sermon on the Mount that only perfect righteousness will do. In that sermon just before our gospel for today picks up, Jesus instructed his disciples to be what he had made them, the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And he explained what he meant by that. He didn't come to destroy the law or to do away with it. He came to fulfill it. So we, we shouldn't think, then, that God's law is unimportant or, or that it's something that only mattered a long time ago or that knowing Jesus 
means that we can live our lives however we want. In fact, to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, you need perfect righteousness, righteousness even greater than that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, people that everyone in Israel considered to be the, the most righteous you could be. At this point, Jesus might have turned to the teachings of the Pharisees. Maybe that's what the people expected him to do. But instead, he went back, back to, to God's law given to Moses. And he explained those laws in a way that the Pharisees never would have. In fact, the, Jesus, the way that Jesus taught them was much more difficult to follow. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. Well, yes, of course, that's, that's the fifth commandment. For those who wish to be godly, don't murder has got to be one of the easiest commandments to keep, right? Jesus says, think again. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother without a cause will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, will have to answer to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. Such minor crimes. Anger, insults, Raka was a common Aramaic insult, something along the lines of, you moron, or you airhead. But Jesus says such things are not minor at all. They're deserving of, of judgment, of the high court, even hellfire. Or what about the sixth commandment? You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. I suppose David might have tried to argue that uh, his own hand didn't kill Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. But he couldn't escape the fact that he broke this commandment. People are often ruled by their passions. But surely, if we put our minds to it, we can accomplish this as well. Jesus says, consider this more closely. But I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to fall into sin, pluck it out and throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to fall into sin, cut it off and throw it away from you. It is better for you to lose one part of your body and for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Even just a look, something so small is so serious that you might be better off just gouging out your eye. David's crime didn't start after he invited Bathsheba to his palace. It started as he watched her out the window. Similarly, Jesus forbids divorce. It's not just a matter of divorcing properly, but divorce is wrong. Because with divorce, the guilt of adultery is dumped even on the conscience of a spouse who is innocent. So, you shall not murder means more than just killing a person. And you shall not commit adultery means more than just taking another man's wife. Jesus gives one more example of the fullness of the law. Again, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oaths, 
but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, not by heaven because it is God's throne, and not by earth because it is his footstool, and not by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, since you cannot make one hair white or black. Instead, let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Whatever goes beyond these is from the evil one. The very words you speak can be a a fountain with the evil one, Satan, as its source. Jesus could have said much more uh, about these commandments. He's not fully expounding on any of these commandments here, but he's, he's teaching us the proper way of understanding God's law. We all want to be righteous. We want to be righteous in the eyes of the world because what a terrible burden we must carry if the world considers us to be unrighteous, wicked, guilty. Even more importantly, we want to be righteous in our own eyes. As difficult as it might be, I can live with the world's judgment against me. But what can I do if I can't justify myself? How can I live with my own self-condemnation? But here, Jesus describes what it means to be righteous in the eyes of God. We can't use God's law to justify ourselves or declare ourselves righteous. We can't say, I am a good person because I have never murdered anyone. I've never committed adultery. When God says, you shall not murder, he does certainly mean that I must not take another person's life. But he also forbids any evil connected with murder those things which cause harm to a neighbor's body and life, even those things which are inclinations towards harming him deep in my soul. Likewise, when God forbids adultery, he certainly would condemn me for taking the wife of another man. But don't think that you are righteous just because you have never done such a thing. You don't need to be the king of Israel to invite impure and shameful thoughts into your heart. King David should be condemned for his crimes. The good he did could never cover it. A thousand victories against Goliath would never bring Uriah back to life. His most noble and most honorable behavior could not undo his sin with Bathsheba. The only solution that brings any hope, any peace, lies in God's forgiveness. We all want to be righteous. We act as if that's who we are. We cover our sins as if they don't exist. But only Jesus can take our sins away. Only he can offer us true peace that comes with the forgiveness of sins. Knowing what Jesus has done for us makes it so that we don't have to be afraid to confess our guilt. Yes, 
I have sinned. Yes, I do deserve God's wrath and condemnation. I deserve hell. In my life, in my heart, are wicked things so shameful they make me weep. But God directs my tear-filled eyes to look to the cross. He says, do you see what I have done? There's your judgment. There's your condemnation. There's your hell. It's on Jesus. His perfect life, his innocent sacrifice has saved you. It's with his name that I have washed you of your guilt in baptism. It's with his holy body and blood that you are fed. Rather than asking yourself, am I a good person? Try asking this. Am I justified? Has God declared me perfect and righteous for the sake of Jesus? Because only perfect righteousness will do. And that is what you have. It's his gift. You are justified freely in his sight. Live in the righteousness he gives you. Breathe in his forgiveness. Rejoice in the peace that is yours. In his blood. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.